I want to start by introducing you to this woman. My name is Sue Feldman. We've had guests in our home for years, long before Airbnb was an, an app. If you're not familiar with Airbnb, it's an online site where homeowners can rent out a spare room or even a whole house on a short-term basis. VRBO, or Vacation Rentals by Owner, is another listing company you might have heard of. The idea is that the property owner can make some extra money, the guest can get a room that's perhaps a bit more like home and cheaper than a hotel, and for some, it's a way to connect with a stranger. That's why Sue and her husband are so dedicated to Airbnb. It's very interesting to learn about other people and other people's cultures and um, what interests other people. She moved to Birmingham from California for a job a little more than a year ago. They eventually settled in Mountain Brook, and there they picked up their tradition of hosting people in their homes through Airbnb. Sue got a city business license, made sure everything was above board, but she says just two weeks after they moved into their house, a neighbor complained to the city about their guests. For instance... There were out-of-state license plates on our street. Carloads of people come and go. Uh, cars, people, luggage, briefcases, early morning, midnight, mid-afternoon. Um, it was another complaint. Uh, another comment was, uh, the guest was waiting in front of your house for a ride. Sue Feldman says some complaints seem to lack context, like, of course there'd be cars with out-of-state license plates. Or if someone didn't drive to Birmingham, he or she might be waiting in front of the house for an Uber. She says others, like the carloads of people, just didn't seem true. She limits the number of cars to one per reservation. Did you ever have complaints like this before? Never. She has no problem if neighbors want to complain. But the complaints have to be legitimate. And when the complaints are not legitimate, um, then it borders on being prejudicial. In any case, the incident led to the city of Mountain Brook passing a new ordinance to regulate short-term rentals. It's something a lot of cities across the country are doing, and we talk about it on this edition of WBHM Politics. I'm Andrew Yeager. Good to have you along. In a bit, we'll get some perspective from an urban planner who has followed this issue across the country. But we'll start around Birmingham, where several communities have been figuring out what to do with Airbnbs. Last year, Homewood banned short-term rentals of less than 90 days in residential areas. Earlier this summer, Tuscaloosa implemented licensing and inspection requirements. Also restricted where in the city short-term rentals can happen. And now Vestavia Hills is discussing restrictions. Mountain Brook? is the latest place to pass an ordinance. In September, the city council banned short-term rentals of less than 30 days. I spoke with Mountain Brook City Councilwoman Alice Womack. She says the issue had been on the radar of city leaders, but the complaint forced them to act. Womack says it was about safety. This is something that the city of Mountain Brook really has not had to deal with. More with children, we're very much a family-oriented community. These are families that are typically uh, feel very comfortable letting their children go, walk down the sidewalk, and um, move freely. And there was some concern with people being in and out on a regular basis daily, just changing um, what that looked like and, and the safety of their, their children was the primary concern. So you get this complaint or these complaints from, from a resident. What happened from there? So our current ordinance had not addressed anything that was distinguished between a long-term rental and a short-term rental. What it did distinguish was that if you were a family unit, you could have 
someone else that was non-family living with you. So you could rent to a single individual and related party if you were living there. You could, however, leave and then lease it to a whole nother family plus one. So that was all our ordinance addressed. So we had to go back and look, okay, is this sufficient? We looked at a number of things. How do we, you know, do we make things with parking, with safety? Do we put it in a, allow it in multifamily area and um, not the single family? You know, we tackled everything. We ended up settling on the time, and we looked at a number of different ordinances. We looked at most closely here was Homewood had had adopted um, an ordinance about a year prior to us where they did not allow any short-term rentals or any rentals within any shorter than 90 days. When it went to the work session, one of the public comments was people coming to Birmingham to do internships. That was one thing we, we took into account. The other one that came up was we have several people in our community that may be doing renovations on their home, so they want to move out temporarily, stay within the city, and they may want to do shorter than 90 days. So those were two things that a couple of members of our planning commission were, had concerns over. So we shortened that window to 30 days. Of course, as soon as it hits, you know this, but as soon as it hits media, and we have a fantastic community paper, The Village Living, as soon as it hit that, that's when we start getting other comments and we started getting phone calls getting emails so what were those like once it got wider attention uh, d- did that change any from from the initial dispute between the Airbnb owner and and the resident not really it was interesting we either heard adamant do not want this to apathy um, there was no real strong desire to have the Airbnb model um, other than the one we we did hear from that the one voice, but I kind of bring that to we just don't have many. Um, and when we did our research, we just didn't find that many operating. Give me a sense on how that thirty day minimum addresses the issues that have come up. How does it address safety? Um, well, keeping in mind we still have the ordinance that you can only lease to an, one unrelated party. It really narrows down what you're able to do. So it it allows for one person per month. So you do have that window of time that you don't feel like you're having, having a constant flood of activity and, and different people on a daily basis. Did you talk to Airbnb through your research process? I did not personally talk to anybody at Airbnb. Now, our city planner may have. We did look at their website, um, and we looked at VRBO. We looked at some of those, um, and Airbnb, I think it was Airbnb, did a good job of stating, check your local government, check what they, they all have different um, guidelines, all different regulations. So they did highlight that on their website. So this went through all the regular local government processes. It was um, approved in September. What discussion, what any reaction have you had since then? I think it's been fairly quiet. Um, it has not come before the council. I don't know that we've had a whole lot of comments since that time. One of the reactions that I see to this kind of local regulation of Airbnb is that because part of the spirit of Airbnb is that you have people you've never met before that are guests in your home, and it's almost like a cultural exchange, and that some people see this pushback as fear of strangers. There's a fear element to it. How do you see that, or how do you react to that idea? 
Yeah, it's it's funny. We heard from the people we heard from. It was we love Airbnb. We love going to New Orleans, going to the beach, or going and to Chicago or these cities and doing Airbnb. They love the use of Airbnb. They just didn't want it next door to them. Have you ever stayed at an Airbnb? Uh, actually, yes, yes, at a um, the Grand Tetons area and love it. There again, lo- love the use of it. Alice Womack, I appreciate your time. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. What happened in Mountain Brook, where a resident complained and city officials responded? That's pretty typical, according to Jeffrey Goodman. You know, I always say you can have a million tourists come by, and if they're very polite, you might not notice. It just takes one bachelor party for you to complain to your city council person. Goodman is an urban planner by trade, and a few years ago, he heard complaints over short-term rentals at a neighborhood meeting in New Orleans, where he lives. So he started studying the issue, even bicycling around town to find specific properties. He's since written about short-term rentals and consulted with cities and counties. He says while resident complaints over trash or noise tend to drive cities to act, it's not the only reason. In bigger cities, it's sometimes a little bit more about um, housing issues. And so if you have places that have a strong sort of housing advocacy uh, organization, they're going to look to this as something that's working to displace a lot of, uh, of renters specifically. Also, some cities and counties uh, realize that they're they're missing out on tax money. They've heard about these things and they look on the websites and they realize how many people are, are making a lot of money and maybe not paying transit occupancy taxes, hotel taxes, whatever. That's another way that cities and counties, uh, you know, certainly start to, to move to try to regulate it because it, it can mean a lot of money for them. Are there typical ways you see cities responding to that? Yes. So there's, uh, it sort of depends on the people in charge and what they feel pressure on um, and what they're interested in in doing. I think there aren't that many places that have gone with a full ban. Most cities respond through some sort of legalization process, permitting, licensing, whatever, and try to focus a little bit on the quality of life issues. Some of them focus on the housing issues. Some of them kind of do a mush where they are just taking whatever complaints they've gotten and writing it into an ordinance. It can be a very complicated issue to, to write an ordinance about because you're talking about something that intersects with your financial department, with your zoning, with your licensing, with your inspections, with all these things. And a lot of times cities don't, don't like having to, to do that much work on some level and prefer to just say, you know, get a $25, get a $100 permit so we have your name, pay your taxes, and uh, we're good. Other places, because of the sort of pressure on them from neighborhood groups or even from just the the other people in the city, you know, try to put more restrictions on it. uh, And hopefully they should be restrictions that make sense for that community. But it can be very, very difficult when you're sitting in a meeting and a million people are yelling at you about, you know, trash to uh, come up with a, a good comprehensive policy. Do you see any trends or commonalities with how, say, big cities approach the regulation of short-term rentals or suburban communities or, or mid-sized cities. Is, is there any commonalities there? Yeah, I think so. Um, part of it has to relate to the leverage that big cities have with some of the listing companies. San Francisco, New Orleans, Chicago, Los Angeles, New York City, those places 
are marquee names and have thousands and thousands of listings, and so they have a little bit more leverage if they choose to use it, and they don't always do that, to try to get some sort of a better agreement with the listing companies, whether that's for data, whether that's for pass-through permitting systems, whether that's for whatever. Smaller cities, medium-sized cities, they generally just don't have the staff to do extremely complicated regulation. And so they tend to be a little more uh, hands-off, except for very, very specific things. Uh, the bigger divide you see are with places that are purely kind of vacation destinations. So ski towns in Colorado, beach towns in Florida and Alabama, they tend to have very particular regulations because that's their main industry. In general, though, you know, certainly suburban communities don't like these things. You know, people bought into residential property thinking it'd be this nice, quiet street. They respond very negatively towards uh, towards changes to that, and so those those places tend to be a little bit more restrictive. But they also tend to have not as many um, of listings. Well, here in Alabama, Tuscaloosa is one of the cities that has put in their own uh, set of regulations. I would think that the the economics and the housing situation in a college town might be different from some of those other communities as well. The college towns are, are very peculiar uh, because you're talking about something that maybe isn't year-round. Uh, you know, a place like Tuscaloosa, we're talking game day weekends. There's only so many of those a, a year. A lot of times the tools that cities use are, say, day limits. Uh, 90 days a year is a pretty common one in a lot of cities. That's not going to be very relevant in a place where really you're talking about eight weekends. At the same time, you know, we've heard a lot of difficulties around college campuses because you have a population that needs housing, is oftentimes not very savvy with looking at their leases, and don't have a lot of options. We actually talked to people in in a a college town in the Big Ten where the leases included provisions that students had to vacate for football weekends so that the landlord could short-term rent their house. Well, these people are pretty desperate for for housing your campus, and they agreed to it. You know, it, it gets into some pretty weird areas uh, in terms of real estate law. Do you ever see communities take a more libertarian approach and just say, hey, this is a private company, people doing business in their private homes, um, let's just not mess with it? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, Certain states um, at the state level have pretty much mandated that. Now, some of that was under lobbying pressure from the listing companies, but uh, certainly a lot of places, very rural places especially, they don't really care. I mean, the, the, the quality of life concerns are not a concern for them because people don't necessarily have neighbors. Uh, a lot of times that is the type of system where it's like, you know, just sign up and, and pay your taxes and it's fine. Well, how have you seen the listing companies, Airbnb, respond to this kind of regulation over the last few years? They, they've gone in different directions. Sometimes they are very antagonistic towards cities that try to put certain types of regulations So they have been in lawsuits with New York State. I think they've been in lawsuits with San Francisco, with Anaheim, with a lot of places to try to avoid having to um, police their own listings. So they, they believe, and it's in their terms of service, that when you create a listing, you are responsible for being in compliance with whatever local laws apply to you as a host. They don't. They are just a listing service. They are a computer technology company. Um, And if you have zoning issues or you have tax issues, that's on you to figure out before you create a listing. That's what a lot of cities have have challenged. And so they went into arbitration with San Francisco. I think Anaheim changed its rules to avoid a longer lawsuit, et cetera, et cetera. They've tried to be a little bit friendlier, I think, in the last year or two. Um, 
their big thing right now are tax collection deals. So either at the state level or with individual cities and counties, Airbnb will automatically collect taxes uh, and remit them to, to the governments before they basically send out a little kind of like tax form to all their hosts saying like, please report your taxes. Well, that's not a very easy system and a lot of people were, were just kind of not doing that. So in some certain markets, whether they've been kind of forced to do so or not, they have tried to play nice. And part of that is just it's more lucrative for them to settle things and be able to make their money than get into an extremely long lawsuit with a place like San Francisco, which is their hometown. They have not been major partners in a lot of enforcement efforts. I'm being diplomatic, I suppose. Well, you said that you started studying this in New Orleans. And what surprised you most about what you've learned over the last few years where you are? I think what surprised me most, well, there's two things. The first thing that really surprised me was how few a number of people are actually making the most money. In New Orleans, when I first started looking at this issue, I think it was 6% of all listings. So if when you pull up that map on Airbnb and you see a million properties, 6% of those listings were responsible for just under 50% of the bookings in the city. So I say we have 5,000 listings. In reality, we have a fairly small number of people who are full-time going whole hog into it. There are these people who have taken advantage of a system that maybe doesn't have the best enforcement. And a lot of times they're property managers, they're small, small property managers or even big property managers who have everything in place to make a lot of money. So the narrative that comes out of the listing companies is this is a little old lady who's just making a little extra money. Those people exist, but the people who are often best positioned to, to make real money on these platforms are, are not that. They're, they're people who are professional property managers. Certainly the, the stories I've heard about discrimination on the platform are very surprising. You know, there are Harvard Business School studies about um, if you are a person of color, just your name alone will cause you to be rejected from bookings more often. Um, it's harder for you to list things and, and make the same money that uh, a white property owner would be able to do. Uh, that's really shocking. And it, I think it's shocking the response that came from Airbnb and from other people that, you know, they hired former Attorney General Eric Holder to come up with recommendations. You know, we wouldn't really accept that from a brick and mortar place. If I told you uh, uh, Hilton was charging African-Americans 15% more, you wouldn't say, oh, well, I hope they come up with some recommendations in the future about it. You know, you'd, you'd say shut it down. And it's those sorts of things that I think have been very interesting and very frustrating is that we have things like the Americans with Disabilities Act. We have things like the Fair Housing Act. And oftentimes cities kind of throw them out the window a little bit because it's the Internet and it's new and it's, it's cool. And, you know, those things really protect people. Those things are, are put in place to really help people out and just how easy it is for a lot of people to, to just ignore that in order to uh, to get a system in place has been has been a little surprising for me, for sure. You said that cities have taken a wide variety of approaches. Do you see them going in any sort of direction that in a few years from now, as these legal battles are fought or legislative battles are fought, there'll be some sort of general consensus? What's your sense? I think it'll be more settled. This is a, a still a very dynamic industry, you have these very large players fighting against each other. Um, you have the hotel industry, which is huge, huge industry. You've got the short-term rental companies, they're a huge industry. You've got individual real estate investors, they're a huge industry. And so in a place like San Francisco or New York, that's really kind of this Godzilla versus Mothra battle, 
that's going to filter down, I think, to a lot of other cities over time. Some of the currently really large listing companies have an inherent advantage uh, over any sort of future competitors. So as they the cities kind of demand more things of the listing companies, Airbnb, VRBO, which are, are billion-dollar companies, they'll be able to, to respond to those demands. Uh, smaller competitors won't. So in some ways, it'll be in their interest to kind of abide by what cities ask uh, at this stage. I think it's going to be real piecemeal where it's mostly legal, uh, and in some places it's extremely legal. I don't think you're going to be able to, to have that kind of pushback. I don't think you're going to be able to put that genie back in the bottle. But in some ways, as those companies cut more deals with cities, other cities can ask, we want the deal that San Francisco got. I think that'll start to filter down like a little bit. But you know, this industry is here to stay. I, I don't think it's ever going to sort of go back. Do you use Airbnb when you travel? Yes, I, I have occasionally, and uh, it's been fine, although I stayed on one where they said, if anyone asks, you're just a friend. That was a little weird. <laughs> well, uh, Jeffrey Goodman, I, I appreciate the conversation. Yep, thank you. Before we wrap this up, I want to go back to Sue Feldman. She's the woman running an Airbnb in Mountain Brook. She's still renting, and she says so far, demand hasn't slacked off despite the 30-day minimum requirement. She thinks the city was thoughtful in its approach to the ordinance, but finds it short-sighted, in part because for some people, staying at an Airbnb is their introduction to a community. It was for Sue. She stayed at Airbnbs in Mountain Brook while she started her new job and as she looked for a place to live. It was a great experience. And so that's why we chose to buy in Mountain Brook. Those stays, though, were for less than 30 days. In other words, her visits where she felt welcome to Mountain Brook they'd now be illegal. That's it for this edition of WBHM Politics. The show is produced by Gigi Duban and myself. Our theme song is by local Birmingham guitarist Eric Essex, and it's called Find Your Way. We want to know what you think. Send us your thoughts through the WBHM Facebook page or tweet at us. We're at WBHM, or you can use the hashtag WBHM Politics. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already, and write a review really helps us out. I'm Andrew Yeager. Thanks for listening.